We're just going to look at one verse today. I just want you to know part of the reason that we canceled the um, family meeting uh, and pushed it out a couple weeks is honestly, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty under the weather. I, um, my wife has been telling me for a long time that I have allergies and I'm such an optimist, I refuse to accept it. But I realize that I have this pattern that every single, the only time I get sick, it's once a year and it's always the hottest week of the year which is the greatest time to have a sore throat and be plugged up when it's 100 degrees outside. So I just, I've, and I'm pretty exhausted. I just came back from a pastor's leadership retreat where I, I, I taught and spent tons of time with about a group of about 60 lead pastors um, from all over the West Coast, that young guys that were um, at Lake Tahoe, which I'd never been to. It was beautiful and it was refreshing. And I'm so excited for the family meeting because I felt like the Lord gave me a ton of vision um, for a door of hope and I just believe God is, I believe the best season for Door of Hope is coming. Um, I don't think it's in the past. I think it's actually coming. And so um, I'm excited to unpack that with the elders and with the staff and, and for us to just dream and pray together. So we'll be praying for Door of Hope because God has been moving. I mean, we're still just seeing churches just now start opening. Um, so I'm so grateful that we kind of got a head start on that and seeing so many new faces, people coming from the neighborhood. I'm meeting new people every week. And even if it's only half of the, which is every church, by the way, uh, I think we might be doing better than, than many. Uh, it doesn't matter to me um, because I trust that this is God's church and if we're faithful to lift Jesus up, um, that we can trust that he's going to build it the way that he wants to build it. We just need to be open to what the Holy Spirit has for us. Uh, and with that, I want to take us to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We're just going to consider this one verse today. And, and, and this, this verse really explores um, what is commonly called the providence of God. And there's lots of views on God's providence. And honestly, I'm not really interested in answering questions you're not asking. Um, what I am interested in is, is pointing us to a greater hope in the centrality of the gospel and why it is that I preach the same message every week. It's not because I don't have anything else to say, it's because I believe there's only one thing worth saying in a million different ways, and that is Jesus is Lord, and the cross is our center. And there is no spirit-filled life or Christian sanctification if we ever move away from that reality. We must continue to anchor ourselves in that center because we live in a time where the church is being pulled in a million directions and people want to know how to deal with the race issue. People want to know how to deal with political tensions. People want to know how to deal with environment, uh, the, the, the warming of the earth. It does really feel that way, doesn't it? Uh, all these things, these, these problems, we want to figure out how to deal with the homeless problem and, and the, the camps. and, and all of these things are complicated and it becomes so overwhelming that as Christian leaders, I believe it's one of the reasons that we see so many pastors quit last year is they're just so overwhelmed because they believe that the responsibility of the preacher is to basically be able to tell a group of people in front of them all the solutions to all the world's dilemmas, like the expectation upon the preacher. And I, and I believe part of the problem is, is actually the, the, when church leaders present themselves to a congregation as having figured out all the mysteries of existence, inevitably the community is going to expect them to give answers. And then when they can't, they're unhinged, they're shown for what they are, 
broken people just like you. And that's why I told this group of pastors last week, the most encouraging thing I can tell our community week after week is you're not a bigger failure than God already knows you are. I love to encourage with that. We're a string of zeros and we're hopelessly lost without Jesus. But on the other side, on our worst day, Jesus is crazy about us. That for whatever game God is playing, as Dorothy Sayers said, he has played fair and taken his own medicine. That Jesus may not remove difficulty from our lives, but he does promise to be in our difficulty with us. And this is where we are losing people from the pews and losing church leaders and churches shutting down is that we have bought into the lie of culture and we have stopped interpreting the world through scripture and instead we're interpreting scripture through the lens of the world. And what it has turned the church into is a bunch of therapeutic moralism that exhausts people. Because church and you in this pew is not about self-discovery. Not even, it's not even in the top 10 things that church is about. You will never understand yourself. I am insane. If someone, I'm, I don't even want to try to understand myself. Only that would, which would be as helpful for my wife to be able to cope with living with me for the rest of her life. And I know, honey, that probably just overwhelmed you to think about the reality of that statement. Um, but I... I don't know what's going, my brain is a, is a world, we, we did this thing where we were praying while we were in Tahoe, the pastors, it was a vertical prayer, it's really beautiful, I've never, I've done it a bunch, but it's not something that Door of Hope has done, and I always joke that we're charismatic with a seatbelt, and this group that I was with, there was a, I believe that God utilized Door of Hope's story, my story, and how the gospel has been the center, that was a great needed word for this particular group of pastors because they're all kind of interconnected. They actually have a really beautiful kind of robust understanding of the movement of the spirit, the, um, the need for prayer, and they're, 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 they're less, they're, they're, they have less of a seatbelt on. And, and so they pray like, it literally would be one, two, three, everyone give praise at the same time. You know what that was like for me? I almost had a panic attack. Because it was like, it wasn't that I thought it was bad. I thought it was beautiful. It just all of a sudden sounded like what is going on in my head all the time. Now it was inside and outside. And I, and I literally, I couldn't even talk. I was like, and I realized like my heart rate elevated. And I'm like, I am, I am definitely not a stable human being. And so then I just had Andrew, this guy, I told him, and he just started laughing. He goes, let me pray for you, and prayed for me. But I, I think that this is, this is the, the, the reality, is that we desperately need to be more open and more vulnerable with each other. Not like Brene Brown vulnerable. I'm talking like raw AA meeting vulnerable, like where we're honest about who we are and how desperately we need help. Because the world is not looking for the ideal to be presented to them. What they're looking for is, I want to see how this Jesus makes a difference when your life is about to fall apart or it has already fallen apart. And I believe that this verse is one of those verses that is misunderstood that causes people to believe that the real Christian life and Christians that actually have arrived, which by the way, nobody will arrive on this side of eternity. And the world is not gonna get better before Jesus comes back, it's gonna get worse. And that is okay because we know that the best is yet to come. 
And it's when the days are the darkest that the light of Jesus shines the brightest. And what we're going to see here is that this verse is not about personal fulfillment or self-understanding or the individual pursuit of uh, uh, the heroic ascent, the, the climbing of the mountain to get to the top to prove that you can do everything that you put your mind to, which is what we are told day in and day out, only to find ourselves increasingly depressed, anxiety growing, suicide increasing. We can't figure out why we're not happier, even though we have more and live longer, because we lost our ability to have joy the moment we thought we were the center of the universe. And so when Paul says here, look at this verse with me, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Here's the providence piece. For those who are called according to his purpose. That God is working everything together for the good of those who love him. Now that immediately from, from a people group that have written within their their very founding documents, the pursuit of happiness, which I would argue is one of the greatest lies ever propagated in world history. Although the idea probably in the founding fathers is that every person should have an, an opportunity to make a life for themselves. That was the dream, the American dream. But we have reduced it as happiness is pursuing whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be, it can be it could be material possession, it can be, it can be drug addiction, it can, be, it can be pornography, it can be anything, anything that might, you alone have the right to define what will make you happy. That is the message of the moment. And so when we read this verse, we don't, we don't analyze that reality through the verse, we apply it to the verse. So now the verse is about, if I actually love God, I proved to him that I love him, He's gonna give me what I want. And God is reduced to some sort of strange cosmic Santa Claus who's here to fulfill your dreams. But the book that I'm writing right now and as I shared with the pastors in Tahoe this week is called The Good Death for a Reason is that the Christian life is defined by Jesus' own words. Unless a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it will not bring forth fruit. And it is good for our dreams to die. Because we don't actually know what we want most of the time. Most of us didn't become what we thought we would be when we were little kids. I never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be a rock star. Had I gotten what I wanted, it would have ruined my life. And as I fell in love with God, he didn't give me what I wanted, he gave me what I needed. And when I realized it was what I needed, I then dis discovered also that I wanted it and I wanted more of it because what I wanted and what I needed is what every human soul needs, which is him, just him. For the one who has Christ has everything. But we are consistently taught to believe, even in the church, that the gospel is not enough, that Jesus is not enough. It's my personal happiness. But listen, life is not about our personal happiness, it's about his glory. Uh, you know, there's that, that idea that was put forth, um, it's, the, it's the spiritual laws. Um, Billy Graham used it, um, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, it's the God has a perfect what? 
plan for your life. And the idea is, I, I know that if you interpret it a particular way, it's not a heretical idea, because it, if it's God's plan, it is the perfect plan. But what they leave out, that's, that's a little bit misleading for a non-believer being presented with the gospel. And luckily, nobody comes to Christ unless the Spirit draws him, so we're not nearly as free as we think. Uh, but I think that this is the point, is that God has a perfect plan. But for many of us, all of us at some point, it will be incredibly painful. Let me give you an example. I had a woman come up to me, and I, I actually asked her if it's okay if I share this. I wanted her to come share her testimony. First time the door of hope. And she came up to me, and she said, I don't know if I can talk right now. I just, I've been back in Portland for two years, and I just, hearing this message about how desperately we need a deeper theology of suffering and that we really suck and really need Jesus. If we weren't lost, why would we need a savior? And, and I'm like, oh man, I thought I was really just kind of being, being a big bummer. She's like, it was like drinking from a well of fresh water. She goes, because the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I'm just going to be honest with you, and I go, what's that? Is that I went to prison for 20 years. And I went to prison for 20 years for, for meth addiction and not being able to take care of my kid, not even realizing I had a kid because I was so high. And, 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 and she started weeping, and she said, if I hadn't have gone to prison, I would be in a grave, and I never really would have even gotten saved. And it's true. The average person that gets hooked on meth can never get away from it. It's that destructive of, it's like heroin. It just is that destructive of a drug. In God's beautiful providence, and I don't like to use the language, did he cause it or did he allow it? It doesn't matter. All I know is that he uses everything. I will bring beauty out of ashes. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we think to ourselves, what good could come out of what I am experiencing right now? Think about that as a parent who maybe there's, there is a couple in our first service who lost their son tragically, was a part of this church, who, who died trying to save another boy who fell, in, fell into a waterfall and he dove in after him to save him and both him and the boy drowned. And I actually was at that memorial service and, and their son loved Jesus and would, he was just like one of those passionate, he was charismatic and was comfortable being in the front, being charismatic to help all the other self-conscious Portland kids realize it's okay. And he drowned and it was a tragedy and it was awful. Death is horrible. He's only like 22 years old. And they sat here today and they came up to me. I was like, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that all of that pain actually means something. It means something. I was listening to a young couple, the, the, the husband and I used to work together at a church and they were, they were a part of this conference that I was just at and they got up and shared this testimony about a theology of suffering that blew my mind. After getting married, they had their first child and not long after their first child, the, the wife began to lose her hearing just like her mother. And then they found that not only was that genetic 
issue, a genetic issue passed down from mom to daughter, it had also been passed down to their firstborn son. Then they have, they have a third child, a little girl, and right after she's born, uh, she starts having these horrible seizures. Well, they don't know that they're seizures because she's so newborn that they're not recognizing them, only to discover that these seizures were so extreme that they were causing brain damage every time they happened. They're told that their child may never, may never walk, may never eat, uh, may, may not survive, and if she does survive, may be a vegetable. They don't know, and they're just not gonna know for at least five years. Well, over the last five years, what's been incredible is that this little girl has, she is talking and she is walking, but she also has special needs. One of the things he said that was so powerful, he said, the hardest thing for me to say out loud is I have special needs kids. So painful for him. And then he began to weep and he said, but God is using it and, and is teaching me to live in the moment. And it's teaching me to, to recognize that a lot of times my hopes and, and, and desires for myself were just that. They're selfish. Even sometimes for our kids, it's, it, our kids have something like this happen and you're like, you realize that part of the upset is that they aren't going to be what you wanted them to be. And, he, and they went on to say, and then just this last year, the worst year of their lives, their oldest boy also began to have seizures and went through seven months of deep, deep anxiety, wouldn't come out of his room, struggling where his hands would get locked, and there was, they found out that there was an infection that was attacking his brain. And it was so beautiful. He was there with him this, this week. In nine days, he was actually being, kind of, it looked like he was going to come out of it and be okay. And I just felt like the Lord put on my heart, like, he's going to be fine. But obviously, these two, I've never met, like, more like truly pure Christians. Like if there were ever candidates that if living a holy life would guarantee um, a pain-free existence, these two should have won that award. They were virgins when they got married. They loved Jesus their whole lives. They memorized scripture daily. They really loved Jesus. They really loved the Bible. They really loved, they really loved God's people. They served the church. Isn't being a good person and trying hard the thing that guarantees our ability to avoid these kinds of things. Doesn't that only happen to people that are cursed? No. It happens because we live in a broken world with broken minds. Remember what I said last week? All of creation groans, awaiting for the day by which the sons and daughters of God will be revealed. And see, one of the great issues that we're facing today is that the church is buying in <clears throat> to the great lie is propagated by guys like Joel Osteen that says, your best life is now. And, and you know what, there are far more, that's an easy target, but there are far more subtle evangelical voices that put forth a kind of best life now ideology. It's, all, it's what I call ladder theology in my book. It's, it's, the, it's the preacher, when people tell me, I wish you were more prescriptive, just tell us what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. If I told you what I did to be close to Jesus, you would think I'm crazy, because I am. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. I'm like, I don't tell you how many books I read a year, because it'll make you feel guilty. You know why? Because I'm paid to read books all year long. That's what I get paid to do. 
I don't tell you how to pray because my prayer life is crazy. Sometimes it's on my knees, sometimes it's while I'm driving. Sometimes I'll forget to pray and then at the end of the day I'm like, sorry, forgive, thank you. Because I'm a normal human being like you. Glitchy, broken, desperately and constantly trying to figure out how to make sense of the fact that I was a kid that grew up with unbelievable anxiety, cruel stepdads, teased relentlessly, and all of it is okay because God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And I love him. And because of that, I trust that he can take the insanity of this brain and my past and bring beauty out of it. And Door of Hope is a reminder of that. I remember being so upset just a couple months ago when I sat down with, um, I had dinner with Chris Tomlin in, in Florida. And I met him. It was Chris Tomlin and Phil Wickham. And when I started telecast, this worship band, I was like, we're, you know, we, were, we had a top 10 single for, for six months in the whole world. Traveled, did 250 shows between 2003 and 2004. And we were like aligned. We were going to be Big Christian stars. Isn't that a ridiculous statement? Like, what does that even mean? Um, all that meant, when they said, you're the Christian Coldplay, it just meant, you're the band that will never be as good as Coldplay that Christians can listen to because their parents won't let them listen to Coldplay. Like, that's all that meant. Um, and so, but, I, I, but still, I mean, we're playing in front of thousands of people every day. Like, this is this happening. Weirdly, we weren't getting paid because our first single didn't do well at radio and it was literally a year before Apple Music took off. It's 2003, 2004. And when our first single didn't do well because we were a brand new band, all the Christian bookstores, that actually is a thing by the way, it, it existed. Um, they, they sent back the CDs to the record label. And then our single broke and people went to buy our single or buy our CD and it wasn't available anywhere. So it never translated. In fact, we got so poor touring that there was a point where Darcy actually didn't have enough money to buy diapers for Henry. And that's when she said, you know what? I think I'm good. Maybe it's time. <laughs> Maybe it's time you come be a dad since you missed your son's second and third birthday. And I laid down and died to my greatest dream, the lo greatest longing. I still to this day write probably two to three songs a week because it's like in my blood. He has never allowed it to happen. And here I am sitting with Chris Tomlin, who I met clear back in 2004 on the Passion Tour. And, he's, and he goes, oh, I remember Telecast. Did you stop making music? And I was like, no. I actually made like 10 records over the last 10 years, but it's cool that you've never heard of them. <laughs> I'm like, I'd, I'd love to write some songs for you sometime. Um, but I, I came back all bummed and it was like kind of, it was like humiliating almost. And then I was like, I get back and we go to dinner with our friends, Abe and Bree, who they, I was there when they started dating. I walked through a difficult time where they weren't sure if they were gonna get married and, and then I was able to marry them. Bree was our women's pastor and went through depression. I was able, I, Darcy and I walked through that with them. 
when, she couldn't, when they couldn't have kids for the first few years, we, to see that and to be with them when they, when they had Elle, this beautiful little girl, and then Addie, two daughters. And I'm sitting there and I was telling the story, like kind of complaining to them. And the Lord like spoke to me in that moment. He's like, this family wouldn't exist had you been fulfilling your dreams. Because God has called us to be a conduit of his grace and we have no idea the impact and I don't think we should, because I don't think it'd be good for us to know the impact that we have on people's lives when we're willing to just surrender what we want to recognize that actually we don't really know what we want and Jesus does know best and we act as if this life is all there is and it's not. This life matters, it will shape the next, but it will pale in comparison to eternity. What God's providence is, is this incredible ability to take every dissonant note, every broken thing in our lives, and as an artisan, make something more beautiful than what was there before. To take a bad composition, a musical piece that's unbearable to listen to, and somehow add just the right note that you would never think of to turn it into the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. He makes us through building out of our unmaking. I just reread uh, three times this week, a short book of poetry by this man, Franz Wright. He was bipolar, he had massive alcohol um, uh, and substance abuse addiction, uh, alcohol and like he was a smoker, he died of lung cancer, uh, I think in 2017. He's the only, um, him and his father are the only father-son poets to ever both win the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Um, but I much prefer Fran, I much prefer the son. And Franz, he, was, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. And great poets, you know, people don't read poetry. They should read more poetry. It's really not like classical music because classical music often is not fun, but sometimes it is. Um, but poetry, the best poetry, it's not meant to be understood as much as, much as it's meant to be, to be experienced. It's, it is like music without melody. It's the words should sing, they should live, they should breathe. And he has this way of writing these poignant statements that like just, like I don't fully understand it, but it is doing something to me. And he converted to Catholicism at the end of his life when he was dying of cancer and wrote his last volumes um, of, of poetry were all about his conversion. And he had lines like this, I wish someone could teach us how to die. Nobody can teach us how to die because everybody on earth hasn't died yet. <laughs> it's a really great, it's a great statement. He's like, I only have one heart, Lord have mercy on me. But my favorite line is he said, oh, when I step out into the ugliness of the world, it's like a dear child to me. And I'm reminded through my own brokenness, my own pain, I'm paraphrasing, that it has always been grace, that I am made by being destroyed. What a powerful line, that is not a paraphrase. I am made by being destroyed. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Jesus, when speaking to the young rich ruler, he said, why do you call me good? There is none who is good but God. And I think that this is an important thing for us to understand. 
that the good that is being talked about is redemption. And Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And he says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have what? Overcome the world. The ruler of the world, come let us rise, let's go from here. The, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. That what the world is looking for in the church is not the ideal that can't be lived. And what is definitely not appealing to a non-believer is to come in and see a bunch of Christians climbing a ladder trying to, uh, towards self-discovery which is they're so focused in on their own personal growth that they don't even realize the hurting, broken person in front of them, next to them, or behind them. They're too busy trying to figure out what's best for them. And the thing is, is I see that in myself all the time. I wrote my wife this week from Tahoe and I said, honey, I'm done pretending or ignoring, I think is what I said, that our life is blessed. Because sometimes ministry is so oppressive. Can I just tell you that? Is it okay to say that? That leading this church is impossible, but it's also the greatest gift and, and greatest honor that a guy who graduated from high school with a 1.7 grade point average, I just love it. Thank you for making me feel smarter by pretending that I might be able to bring a clear articulate idea to you. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, but I think that it's, it's the beauty, the hard, the painful thing of leading a community is that fault. It's, it's, it's literally the, the height of this stage speaks something that actually isn't okay. That we go to church to hear from the guy who's farther along than us. And I'm just a guy that is along with you. And God's given me the ability to communicate, hopefully, what many of us are thinking and feeling, but maybe don't know how to put it into words. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing, that we're all gifted and we all contribute. But just know this, many of you have carried me in times of difficulty more than I've carried you. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the AA meeting. That's the, hi, my name's Josh. I'm a sinner. So glad to be here where we can not just chase after God's grace, but receive it. And the moment we receive it, we can give it away because if we don't, it'll go bad. See, the good that is coming is the good that is available actually right now. It is Jesus himself available to each one of us for the person who understands the gospel and why we can never move past the cross and why you must hear from me, not do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, and then you will be this thing. That's not what I'm called to do. And actually pastors do great damage to communities when they tell their people to do what they're doing. Paul did not do that. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is look at the way that I love Jesus and then love Jesus in the way that Jesus made you. That's essentially what he's saying. If you actually look at the prayer of the instruction that Jesus gives on prayer, are you not struck like me at how little instruction there is? He just says, pray. I'm like, yeah, but, 
And when you pray, pray like this. Was he saying that's the prayer you should pray? Because not many of us pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Some of you do. But he's saying, let it, it should withhold this kind of idea is essentially what he's saying. But just talk. He says, ask. You have not because you ask not. James says, but when you ask, you ask for the wrong things. Once again, it's like, we don't know how to pray. Last week we considered the spirit groans on our behalf because we do not know what to pray for. We're like little kids babbling away and the spirit is consistently bringing to the father, like this is what, this is what he's saying. Or even better, this is what he needs. This is what she needs. I love you too much, the Lord would say to each of us, to leave you as you are. You know what's funny is I often try to run away from this responsibility. And listen, we are masterful. Uh, There's some sort of strange, what I call a Faustian deal that has gone down in which we have created a never-ending ability to sedate and escape the nagging voice of conscience because we know that we were meant to be more, but we know that we can't do it. And that is what the gospel is meant to bring us to, is a place, it's a bottoming out where you go, the only thing sometimes that should be uttered from our lips is help and thank you. That he loves us on our worst day. And our worst day can often be every day for a long time. But it doesn't change the fact that he loves us. It's like when I see one of my kids hurting, I can't necessarily make the pain go. Our daughter went through a really hard season. It was, she's not hardwired to sit in a bedroom and do schoolwork. It's not her personality. She loves people. Since she was a little girl, she hated cartoons. She liked TV shows because she's such an extrovert. It literally made her, she loved the Gilmore Girls. I don't think it was about the Gilmore Girls as a story. It was the Gilmore Girls as her friends around her so that she didn't have to feel alone. Even though our family's unbelievably close. Hattie is like the more friends, the merrier, you know, that's the, it's the beauty of our daughter. But COVID hit and it crushed her. It's one of the reasons I got so mad about isolation. It's like, we're all worried about kids dying from COVID when only two die from COVID and 116 die from suicide. And we're like, what are we doing? And I'm watching my little girl hurt and I don't know how to help her. And I realized I just needed to be there. Darcy and I were talking with an amazing man of God, someone who's so dear to me, who shared his son had a mental breakdown and, and he had to come home from school. And they were so fearful of him hurting himself that he slept on his son's floor for six months and held his hand through the night. That is Jesus. That's a picture of grace. I can't make his pain go away, but I will not let him go through it alone. I am with you. And you know what's amazing? His son has come through it. And I would argue that his son will, will one day say, I'm glad I did. Because I was able to see what grace is, because I received it from my dad and my mom and my family. And I know that Jesus is the wounded healer. And on this side of eternity, it may not go away. The suffering could, could be the very thing that takes us. But even that is not the end of the story, is it? 
When I watched my friend Craig, who many of you knew, die of brain cancer, I was by his bed. I watched this man pass from this life into the next. I saw the shell of a frame that had been ravaged by cancer for five years. And yet I have never seen a man more beautifully exert the gospel. It was almost like the more he was crushed, the more beauty came out of him. To the point where I was like, you, I'll never forget the day that this, this, this beautiful black nurse singing hymns over Craig, washing his frail body because he couldn't even change himself or shower in a, in a hospital bed a month before he died. And him looking at her in the face and saying to her, you are so beautiful. And she said, no, honey, you are beautiful. While she washed his broken body. That is the good that we should be looking for. Not, why hasn't the Lord given me more money? Why hasn't the Lord given, isn't it, isn't it always about what we don't have? Now maybe it, it is true, I am an absolute optimist and have the uncanny ability to look at every disaster in my life as actually like a pretty cool story of success. It's, like, it's a gift. <laughs> but the fact is, is that there is beauty in every experience and we may not see it in the moment, but we must learn to grab a hold of Jesus in the midst of it. And even this, sometimes the days are so dark, it seems like he's not there. But as Christian Wyman said in his book, My Bright Abyss, when he came to faith and then found out he had terminal cancer, he said, even his absence became a comfort to me because I would not have known his absence if I had not first known his presence. If he wasn't actually there, we wouldn't talk about it in terms of absence. And I just want to tell you the one thing that scripture says, there's a lot of things I don't understand. I can't tell you how the mechanics of the cross works. I just believe that something changed the trajectory of time and history and existence as we know it that day. As Lewis said, it's the moment that time turned a corner, that a new humanity was birthed, that somehow sin, this thing that keeps us from achieving what we think we ought to be able to achieve, that keeps us pinned to the ground, we were reminded that yes, we cannot climb our way to heaven, but that the gospel at its very base essence is down to earth. The gospel is down to earth. And you know why people in places like the woman who shared her prison story come to faith is because it takes a person laying face down on the earth to see that they need a gospel down to earth. Because we still think when we're in our health or our prime that we can save ourselves. That we don't need a savior, we just need someone to help us along. But we've got it. But the fact is, is there will be a moment, if you hold to that, you will be sorely disappointed. You think it'll be your spouse that'll give you all the happiness you ever wanted. But as, the marriage, as Jake Johnson said in our marriage was so beautiful, he says, marriage will break you. But that can be beautiful. <laughs> Two people together can't have anything but uh, uh, being shaped by the fact that we are all enigmas to one another. What is Mary Carr's statement? A dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person. <laughs> Such an... <laughs> It's one of the greatest truths I've read in the last 20 years by a literature person. And David Foster Wallace, my other favorite statement, the truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. And I think that that also is true. It may be finished, but it's not over yet. And so we need to hold fast to this God 
who is working things together. And notice here, called according to his purpose. We're not called to a particular thing, we're called to him. And he's the one that says, follow me, and he doesn't even stink and say where he's going. And not because he's a trickster, but because it does not actually matter as long as he's the one that's leading. You're not gonna find respite from the insanity of the world in Idaho or Wyoming or Montana. You might find beauty and you might find less chaos, but the fact is is that anywhere we go in this world on this side of eternity, you will come up against one fundamental problem that the greatest tyrant you will ever face is yourself. And it's not until we die the good death will we discover the beauty of resurrection life in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's with you. We need a better theology of suffering. We need to understand that all of our suffering is not in vain if we are surrendered to him. Too much of our pain is actually pain we don't need to go through because we refuse to surrender to him. But even that will not stop a sovereign God who if in his freedom decides, I will forgive sinners who do not deserve it. It's his right to forgive. And his love is unstoppable. Yield to him, surrender to him that his love, which may feel painful right now, will be the very thing that sets you free. Maybe burn you free. (laughs) Maybe cleanse you like a holy fire. May you find the peace of the gospel today. I just love to encourage with the fact that the best is yet to come through a lot of hard things. Life is impossible, even terminal, but Jesus is good and death has been conquered in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel, for its ability to transform us, for its ability to change us. Forgive us for turning your glory into our personal pursuits. Forgive us for making the Christian life a path to personal fulfillment rather than a a conduit for your grace to not only minister to us. In fact, I am not convinced that we can experience the full ministering of your grace unless it's as we pour it out to others, we begin to feel the real depth of who you are. As we confess with our lips that you are Lord, as we confess our brokenness to one another and to you, as we speak out that simple word, help, and thank you. And Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. And Jesus, we are lost without you. And I pray for anyone that's hurting here today, anyone that comes in feeling isolated, anyone that's feeling like they're on the precipice of I can't take this life anymore, I pray that you would meet them right now in this place and that your healing love would come in such power that they would be transformed. That you have the ability even in the greatest pain to bring such weird and strange peace and joy that it can change the way that we look at the world, could grant to us a sacramental cast. That is what we need. We don't need to give each other ladders to climb, for you have given us the cross. And that is not something we climb, but it's something we die on. 
May we live the crucified life as we serve the crucified and resurrected King. For the one who has you has everything. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.